KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, July 9th. The Delta variant is dominating COVID-19 cases in California. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Governor Gavin Newsom is asking Californians to cut back on their water use as the western United States faces a drought that's affecting our water supply. He declared an emergency drought for nine additional counties. The state secretary of natural resources, Wade Crowfoot, says climate change is more evident than ever. In the past week, temperatures as high as 17 degrees above average have exacerbated drought conditions across the entire American West. The governor says more than $5 billion will be allocated to support the agriculture industry during the drought. Coronado Mayor Richard Bailey has called on the Coronado Unified School District Board to apologize for releasing a statement condemning the Coronado High School basketball team as being fueled by racism, colorism, and classism. Last month, after the Coronado High's boys basketball team defeated Orange Glen, a largely Latino team, some fans threw tortillas at the Orange Glen team. In response, the California Interscholastic Federation vacated Coronado High's championship. The Coronado Unified School Board has since voted to start an appeal process for the CIF's decision. The heat wave for the San Diego mountains and deserts is expected to be here tomorrow, bringing temperatures up to 120 in the deserts. The National Weather Service issued an excessive heat warning that's since been updated. It'll now be in effect from 9 a.m. Saturday to 8 p.m. on Monday. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. The more contagious Delta variant is dominating new coronavirus cases in California. And now research is showing that just one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine doesn't fully protect against it. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman explains. New numbers show the Delta variant is growing, representing nearly half of all sequence cases in the state last month. But in San Diego County, the variant represented less than 10% of sequence cases. Those 54 cases really are just the tip of the iceberg. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Christian Ramers with Family Health Centers of San Diego says to keep in mind that sequencing data could be nearly a month delayed. So the stuff that we see coming in those reports is is late. That's sort of what happened three weeks ago. Um, and I just I say that I think everything's Delta now because the speed with which it's taken over has just been really striking. San Diego County health officials released new data showing some 140,000 residents have skipped their second doses of the Moderna or Pfizer vaccines, something that could have deadly consequences. So early on, remember, we go back to last year, there weren't all the variants circulating around. The information was that, yeah, sure, one dose looks like it's pretty good. 
but that is really not true anymore when you bring Delta into the equation. While nearly 1.9 million county residents are fully vaccinated, that means there's more than a million people who are not, either because they haven't gotten one or both shots or they are minors who are not eligible yet. This virus just looks for places to go and looks for people to infect. And as long as you're in a place where there's some unvaccinated people, it's going to find them. And the Delta variant is better at finding them than any other variant thus far. New county data also shows that since the beginning of the year, more than 99% of COVID-19 related deaths, hospitalizations and cases are from the unvaccinated. And we're now living in a world where it's almost like two completely different populations. Those that are vaccinated, where they're having either totally asymptomatic or not infection at all, not going to the hospital. And 99% of the hospitalizations and deaths are really now caused in unvaccinated people. So the decision to not be vaccinated is basically getting more and more dangerous of a decision as we go forward. Ramers was speaking to us from one of Family Health Center's monoclonal antibody treatment centers. The antibody therapy is used in newly discovered coronavirus cases and is proven to reduce hospitalizations. And that was KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. In April, KPBS reported that California regulators allowed an accused sexual predator to work in local nursing homes while they investigated him. Now the state has fined those facilities for violations related to the case. But advocates argue the fines are too low to change behavior. KPBS's Amita Sharma has more. The California Department of Public Health has imposed a $16,000 fine against Parkway Hills Nursing Home in La Mesa. That's where former certified nursing assistant Matthew Flukiger is accused of raping a resident twice in one hour. Regulators say the nursing home lacked a policy for screening its applicants for past abuse and did not adequately monitor inappropriate behavior by its staff. Regulators also levied a $2,000 fine against Avocado Post Acute in El Cajon, where Flukiger is accused of sexual assault. The state says Avocado failed to immediately report the alleged incident. Scott Fikes is a lawyer representing one of Flukiger's alleged victims. The purpose of a fine is to punish the person who has performed a wrongful act and demonstrate to other people that if you perform that kind of act, there will be consequences. $16,000 doesn't stop anything. Fike says state regulators should publicly explain why those fines are so low. CDPH declined an interview request. And that was KPBS's Amita Sharma. After a year-long delay, Tokyo Olympics are on track to begin later this month. And for the first time ever, skateboarding will be a part of the program. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne says a handful of USA Skateboarding team members are from San Diego. Hayden Acasio, an avid skateboarder in Oceanside, is excited to see the sport hit the big leagues. It's crazy. We've been wanting skateboard Olympics probably for like since skateboarding has been a thing. So it's kind of insane for us to see it like on the big screen and like everyone's going to be watching it. So it'll be sick. Representing Team USA, 23 eager skateboarders ready to head to Tokyo to compete. Eight of them are from San Diego. The three competitors for the Women's Skateboard Park Division all have ties to North County. Liz Nguyen skates at Alex Road Skate Park in Oceanside and is excited to see some locals on the team. I think that's awesome. Keeping it local is great, especially like um, in North County, that's great. Yeah. Brighton Zuner from Encinitas will turn 17 just in time to compete in the Olympics and is the youngest ever X Games competitor. 
Bryce Wettstein and Jordan Barrett also have North County ties and have become a household name in the skateboarding community. I'm just excited to be watching Bryce on the TV, seeing at the Olympics. Acasio says North County skaters are excited to see some of their own make it to Tokyo. Like I got to meet them and stuff and they're so sick and so nice and I'm hyped that they're representing our state and our like country. Skateboarding competitions will make their debut on July 25th. Although the Tokyo Games are taking place this year, they will be referred to as the 2020 Olympics. The opening ceremony will be on July 23rd. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. Seven million tenants across the country are behind on rent more than a year into the COVID-19 crisis. And many small landlords are struggling to pay their bills, too. As CAP Radio's Chris Nichols reports, the economic pressures are rising for these mom-and-pop rental owners. Before the pandemic, Ravi Kalan and her husband Raja Jagadeesan owned six rental properties, including some duplexes, in Sacramento and the Bay Area. So we have a room here that you can look at. Um, And is this one rented out yet? It it, it is. Um, They say their goal is to provide housing the community can afford. But after the economy shut down, four of their nine tenants stopped paying rent entirely. September, we didn't get rent. October, we didn't. November, December, January, February. March. March. So that's $28,000 in just one county. Without this revenue, the couple says they used personal savings to pay for repairs, property taxes, and their mortgages. But Jagadeesan says that approach just isn't sustainable. If we want to provide clean, safe housing for people, I mean, we need to at least make the, the numbers work out. More than a year into the pandemic, the bills are continuing to pile up for small landlords who own nearly half the rental units in America and often provide housing that's affordable for middle and lower income renters. But as of this month, landlords still can't ask courts to remove tenants who aren't paying. That's because the federal government recently extended its eviction moratorium through the end of July. California continued its eviction ban through the end of September. But many renters can apply for 100% back rent, which will ease the situation somewhat. What do we want? No eviction! When do we want it? Now! At rallies like this one in Sacramento this spring, tenant advocates pushed for the bans to stay in place. They say they're needed because just a fraction of the billions of dollars in state and federal rent relief has gone out to those affected by COVID-19. But economists say the eviction ban puts a huge weight on small landlords, especially those whose rental income has dried up. Given the red-hot real estate market, They say some might just sell and get out of the rental business altogether. Homes are selling very quickly, almost no matter what condition they're in. That's Zillow senior economist Jeff Tucker. And therefore, that is a tempting window of opportunity, especially for a small-time landlord, uh, to cash out and sell that home. Those sales are happening, but not to other mom-and-pop owners, says Russell Lowry, who heads the California Rental Housing Association, which represents landlords. We believe we're shifting the landlord mix from from smaller to corporate. That shift could mean fewer entry-level rental options. Renter advocates like Shanti Singh of Tenants Together say they also want to avoid more corporate ownership, 
which can be less forgiving to renters. We definitely don't want to see a further consolidation of property in the hands of corporate landlords. We have been fighting that. Back in Sacramento, small landlord Raja Jagadeesan says he and his wife ended up selling half their properties. He says they couldn't make the numbers work. You know, we're not getting any rent from property X, but we are bleeding money every month. And so then we have to make those hard decisions. Like, I think we have to sell. And that happened not once, not twice, but three times. He says one went to a young couple who planned to live at the home, taking it off the rental market. Another went to an investor who Jagadeesan says will likely slap some paint on it and then raise the rent. And that was Cap Radio's Chris Nichols reporting from Sacramento. Coming up, Say Their Names opens tomorrow in San Diego. It's an exhibit honoring black lives lost to police brutality and systemic racism. Plus, five songs to discover in July from arts editor and producer Julia Dixon Evans. Those stories next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Say Their Names is a new memorial exhibit coming to San Diego honoring black lives lost to police brutality and systemic racism. The memorial is part of a nationwide grassroots initiative spurred by the protests of 2020 to put names and faces to the more than 200 black lives lost due to racism. Guy D. Finney is the executive director of the San Diego African American Museum of Fine Art. They're responsible for bringing the installation here to San Diego. He joined KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman to talk about the exhibit. You know, what will people see when they look at this exhibit? Well, um, it's been a labor of love because I first saw this exhibit uh, out of Dallas when they put it there. And at that time, there were 212 uh, people that they were honoring with these pedestals. We hope that people see something very moving, a, a, a memorial, if you will of those people who have died and contemplate what has happened and also be a teaching moment. Mm. Can you talk about why it's important to memorialize these victims, to actually see their faces and say their names? Yeah, we, the reason, in my opinion, why we say say their names is because they cannot. Being Black should not be a reason to die. Understand, it shouldn't be a reason to be killed. And so all of us, as we watch those few seconds drain out of George Floyd's life, we all felt it because we carry this deep, deep 
inside of us, but we all have these things in, in ourselves, but these people had paid the ultimate price. Whereas us who are still around can say their names. Is there anyone in the exhibit specific to San Diego? Yeah, we have two actually, uh, Alfred Luongo, who uh, was in El Cajon, and then Demetrius Dubose. And Demetrius Dubose is interesting because there's a documentary being done about him by a gentleman named John Kouris out of Chicago. And we are flying him in to be our keynote speaker at our ribbon cutting. So just those two. Mind you, there are, there are more probably, and we can't say that that's everybody, but that's what we have in the exhibit. Mm. You know, what conversations do you hope people have when viewing these photos? Well, I, the conversations I'd like to see people have is to understand why we say their names and that these people cannot. They pay the ultimate price just by being Black. I mean, I'm not saying they're stellar individuals, but this is deep inside all of us. And that this idea of systemic racism, what it does to your soul and to your mind, you know, you've heard that conversation that mothers have to have with their black sons about dealing with the police. So they want them to make it home again. You've heard there's many incidents, even in my own life, of times where I know this had to be from systemic racism. So I want people to understand that it's not an abstract thing and that these people who were killed by systemic racism or police brutality shouldn't have been killed and they can't say their names anymore. So we must, we want people to understand why we're saying their names because it could be any one of us. Mm. You know, what, what conversations are you personally having around this movement to honor Black Lives Lost? Personally, I know in my own experience how many times that I have had uh, things happen to me with the police that should not have had. I mean, I was in, I was working at an art gallery once in a place like La Jolla, and the police must have followed me because I parked my car and I had a ticket that was delinquent. Well, they came in an art gallery and handcuffed me in the art gallery in front of all the patrons. I could not believe it. Even the judge when this heard about this went berserk because of how horrible that is and what it does to you. And there's a number of experiences like that. I've, I've had to leave parties in Rancho Santa Fe because I didn't want to be there driving while black. So I've told the host, but I have to go because I'm scared to be out here. And so this is a normal thing. That's not an abstract thing. So I want people personally, I mean, that's how deep it is inside me, but this is deep inside all the people that I know, all the black people I know. So it's not abstract. I want people to understand this is this is real. We need to change. And this can help teach. Do you think this exhibit highlights anything that is often missed when we have these conversations about Black lives being taken from from racial injustice and systemic racism? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, as an, it's an art piece, though, you know, it's not it's not like I'm trying to bring the city down or anything like that. I'm trying to bring the community up. And so as an art piece, you know, we and the board here really wanted to be a healing process that this heals people, that people understand better that, you know, that racism is, racism is not something you're born with. You can get better from things like this teachable moments that happen that people can learn and discuss and teach their kids. And as we 
go forward, we are better people. You know, the exhibit also recognizes San Diego's local civil rights advocates. Tell me uh, about some of the people featured and the impact their work has had on the movement. Uh, Pastor Timothy J. Winters, Bishop McKinney, uh, Archie Moore, uh, Jerry Warren. These are people, and there's quite a few more, there are 15 actually, that have really contributed to um, civil rights and making it better for African-Americans in San Diego. And so we wanna honor them by having these families of them um, come and cut the ribbon to open the exhibit up. So there'll be all of those families are, will be here with scissors uh, to help start this process. And the people you mentioned uh, put action to words, and I, I know the hope is that people will walk away from this exhibit doing more than just having conversations, right? Correct. I think that they would want to have people come back, bring their families back, spread the word. You know, this is only up for 19 days. And we do that because it's outdoors. People can come almost at any time, um, but we have to secure it, of course. Um, And that was very expensive. So it was really hard to find a place that could have us this long. So make sure that they are able to come back before it's over with. We do plan on having a really beautiful performance art closing event on July 25th. And hopefully people will come to that. It's going to be beautiful. Very, very touching moment and fun. Like a New Orleans type of funeral on the 25th as we close the exhibit. That was Guy D. Finney, executive director of the San Diego African-American Museum of Fine Art. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. The Say Their Names Memorial exhibit opens tomorrow at the New Children's Museum Park. With the return to live music in San Diego, many local bands will finally get to perform again for an audience on a stage this summer. KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Cavanaugh about some of the new music from some of San Diego's local bands. Here's what they're listening to. Now, first up is Jelani Are, and we're all excited to kick off our KPBS Summer Music Series later this month with Jelani. Julia, tell us about this track you picked, Overexposed. This is from his forthcoming album, I've Got Some Living to Do, which will be out July 30th. And I personally am pretty much in full Jelani Arie hype mode right now. And so is the rest of the world. He's getting about 1.2 million monthly streams on Spotify. So he is Filipino African American and grew up in inland San Diego. It definitely brings a sensibility to his music of being kind of stifled by that suburban upbringing and a definite wisdom beyond his relative youth. But his music is really bright and refreshing, and I love the latest single, Overexposed. There's tons of really rich texture and layered vocals, and it just feels really original. It's chock full of honest, kind of questioning lyrics, like the repeated first line, why do I do the things I do? Why do I do the things I do? Dwindling down without a clue. Try to find the closure in a tomb Overexposed and so confused Why do I do the things I do? Dwindling down without a clue Try to find the closure in a tomb Overexposed and so 
That's Overexposed by Jelani Are. And now we have a concert you're excited about, Julia, and a brand new single from San Diego musician Juliana Zachariu. Tell us about Becky. Zachariu is also putting on the finishing touches to a new album, and she's getting ready to headline at Soda Bar on July 24th. And she's a somewhat recent transplant from Nashville, and I feel like we're pretty lucky that we caught her here. Her music's dreamy, and it's inventive pop. It's really earnest and grounded, as well as being kind of whimsical. And I find that this latest track, Becky is just a really great love letter. It's a total homage to the kind of love and romance that's really steadfast, like how magical some of the really mundane stuff could be, like buying a carpet for your house is one of the lines in there. Indie fans should definitely have Juliana Zaccario on their radars. Becky is a new single from Juliana Zachariu. She'll perform at Soda Bar on July 24th. Next is an older track, Night and Day, Sometimes Nonsense Helps by Irene, who will perform this weekend at High Tea, a fundraising gala from arts organization The Hill Street Country Club. Tell us about this track. This one is from 2018 by local singer-songwriter Irene, otherwise known as Irene West. And I love the sentiment here in this track that sometimes nonsense helps you get through some pretty bleak times. Her vocals are delicate, but also really strong at the same time. It's a great balance. And she has a really impressive range and just really creative songwriting and production. And yeah, she will be part of the lineup for High Tea in Oceanside. That's on Sunday the 11th. The Sacred Souls will also be performing at that show, as well as a bunch more acts. Bright, would it be bright? Bright, would it be bright? The shining in your eyes, would it be bright? Cause there's no That's Night and Day, Sometimes Nonsense Helps by Irene. SD State of Mind Volume 1 is a new compilation of local hip-hop acts. Tell us about this and, Julia, which track you picked. Yeah, it's an anthology with 16 new tracks from some of San Diego's best hip-hop artists. The entire album is great start to finish. There's a ton of variety. And they're also having an album release show on July 14th at the Casbah including some open mic time before and after the main show. And it was really hard to pick a standout track, so I just kind of went for the one with the most contributors. It's like an all-star batting lineup. This one is For the Culture. It's a remix of a track from a few years ago with Kali and Ralph Quasar, also featuring Rick Scales, Callie the Dreamer, Real J. Wallace, Mickey Vale, Apollo, and Beto Perez. 
Each artist here really brings their own style to their clip, but it never feels disjointed. There's this hypnotic refrain and some melodic flourishes. They really unify the whole song. And I'm partial to rapper Mickey Vale's kind of wry comparison to kombucha. I love the original version of the song that was from last fall, but this remix feels just as essential. That's For the Culture remix from SD State of Mind Anthology. The album release show will take place Wednesday, July 14th at the Casbah. And now for a female-fronted emo rock band. Tell us about Rain on Fridays. These are two young women out of Solana Beach, and they just released a new track a few weeks ago called No Feet Mailman. It's a little bit absurd and a little bit fun, but it's also kind of sad. But I really love their kind of irreverent girl rock that always works. Rain on Fridays, we're doing a ton of shows right when the pandemic hit, and they recently recorded a fresh squeezed live session. And you can watch that on YouTube for now to hold you over until they start performing again. No Feet Mailman by Rain on Fridays. You can find links to listen to each of these tracks, plus a Spotify playlist at kpbs.org. That was KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. You heard her speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.